going to look at the very last bit of Revelation. We've been looking at the series uh, called God Wins, where we've done studies on Revelation, and we've got to the very end. We're going to read in a few minutes um, from Revelation 22, verses 6 to 21. Uh, we won't read that for a moment. But just to, uh, to if you, I think it's, was it September we started? It seems, uh, it was just after West Point. We've been looking at Revelation right through, so it's the last one, so that's, that's important. But it is also the last Sunday of the old year, 2015, as we've already remembered, so it's sort of significant as well. And this, this, we're looking at the last verses in the Bible, the very end of the Bible. Um, and if you like, God's last words um, in that written form. And I, I, I think that's significant too, isn't it? That's weighty. It's a grand finale in lots of ways. And we often take notice of people's last words, um, uh, and uh, we need to take notice of these last words. God, of course, is alive, but there's a sense in which they're the last part of the message. And I think even if you're a parent or, 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 and you, you're going out and you, perhaps your kids are a bit older and you leave them on their own, your last warnings and words are quite important, aren't they? Now, don't forget to do this. Don't forget to do that. Don't anybody do this. So... But it's not like that. It's not a lot of do's and don'ts. But it is obviously a weighty passage. I just want us to get that this morning, even though we're only spending a few minutes looking at it. But we're going to pick up a very clear message that's in it. So let me read it to you. Revelation 22 and verse 6. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I, heard and, when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right and let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each one, each person, according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. If anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. And he who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. 
Now, all the way through Revelation, we've actually, if you've read it carefully, we've been looking, it's actually Jesus' revelation that he's sharing with John of what will be and how things will be in the period from Jesus' ascension until he comes back. But also, there's an angel, or angels, number of them, who are sent to be messengers, and therefore it gets slightly confusing who's speaking at what point. And it's, it remains slightly confusing right up until the end. But if you have a special Bible with red letters for when Jesus speaks, which I have at home but haven't got here. But if you have that, it helps you a lot in these verses because certain things Jesus is saying directly and other things the angel's saying and John's talking to the angel. And when Jesus says things directly, Jesus specifically says three times in this passage, I am coming soon. Now, that's obviously an important promise, and it's going to be our focus for the next few minutes. And I'm going to use three questions that I posed myself, if you like, and endeavor to sort of briefly answer them. And I pray that out of that, God will speak to everyone in front of me this morning, and all who listen to what I'm saying. So the first question, they're very simple. The first question is this, do Christians really believe that Jesus is coming back? Do you really believe that Jesus is coming back? Someone might well ask. The answer is yes. I'm not moving on to the second point. Sorry, you're going to get a bit longer than that. The answer is yes. If you take the Bible seriously, you do believe that Jesus is coming back. Clearly, in these verses, three times, Jesus himself says, I'm coming soon. But actually, the return of Jesus is foretold, it is estimated by people who count these things, 319 times in the Bible. And almost every book in the New Testament refers to this. It is a big subject from the Bible's point of view. So all Bible-believing Christians, who we might call broadly evangelical, committed to the Bible, believe that Jesus is coming again and coming back a second time, the return of Christ, the second advent. Now, there are differences in what Christians believe about the actual details or order of events. We saw that when we talked about uh, the millennium in in Revelation 20. Because slightly more obscure passages can be interpreted in different ways. But this basic fact is not obscure at all. And actually, there are a number of basic truths that any true Christian would believe. I certainly believe these things. And although people might differ about what is exactly the millennium, they probably won't or shouldn't, if they really believe the Bible, differ on these things. Very simply, first, Jesus Christ is coming again, and that is certain. It is confirmed by so many passages in the Bible. Secondly, it is a personal return of Jesus. Jesus Christ himself It will be tangible, physical, the same Jesus who we've been celebrating as born in Bethlehem, the same Jesus who walked the dusty paths of Palestine, the same Jesus who was nailed to a cross by the Romans 2,000 years ago, the same Jesus who rose physically from the dead, broke through the the, the no-exit sign that Steve reminded us of in his prayer, broke through out of the tomb, walked around for 40 days talking to his disciples, teaching them many things that probably we have in one form or other in our New Testament about himself. That same Jesus 
will come back again. It is actually very straightforward. Let's look at one passage, Acts 1, verses 10 and 11, if you could pop that up. Thank you. This is from the moment when Jesus goes back to the disciples. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, two angels again, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Very simple and straightforward. You have to work hard to mess it about, don't you? This same Jesus will come back. A straightforward prophecy, straightforward promise. Thirdly, there is a clear purpose to Jesus' return. He will wind up history. He will bring in eternity. It is a huge event. Nothing and no one will be unaffected by the return of Jesus. There'll be a judgment for all mankind. There'll be a glorious union between Jesus and his people, the marriage of Christ to his church. There will be a transformation of all creation to a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Fourth thing. For fact, if you like, that a Christian would believe if they believe the Bible. The time of Jesus' return is unknown to any of us. This is made clear a number of times in the Bible. I could quote several if I needed to. We haven't the time for that this morning. But I have to say it because it hasn't, those verses haven't stopped silly people frequently trying to work out when Jesus would come back. We are not supposed to, nor can we. I still remember a perfectly reasonable Christian, I think, well he was, he was saved, giving me a huge computer printout, it was in my Hastings days, many years ago, and it came out like a, do you remember them, they all printed with little holes down the side, do you remember those days, oh, beautiful screens and things, so and it, 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 I unfolded it in my office and it went right across the floor and it had all the things that were going to happen and on 2007, Jesus was coming back. Now, I got this in about 1990. Now, I didn't believe it then, and I don't believe it now. Not the accuracy of the dates. I believe Jesus is coming back. It's just not something we should do. We're told, clearly, not to do it. What we can be certain about is that he is coming back, and we can be certain that it's closer now than it used to be. A careful reading of the Bible will tell you that all the prophecies of Jesus, listen to this, all the prophecies of Jesus' first coming were fulfilled. Everything, and there's nearly as many, I think it's more, 340, I think it is, the prophecies, largely in the Old Testament, that are fulfilled at Jesus' first coming, were all, they were all fulfilled. So I think it's a pretty fair bet, if I may use that term, that all the prophecies about his second coming will also be fulfilled. They will happen. It will happen. Now, there are three main words used for the return of Jesus in the New Testament, Greek words. And very quickly, it's helpful to understand them because they all give us a sense of what we're expecting. One is the word parousia, and the word parousia means arrival. And this word will be used for a king or an emperor arriving. So imagine the queen is visiting Winchester, and we know she's coming. And imagine she's visiting the NBC to see where that world-famous preacher, John Groves, preached. As she would do, of course. Well, it'll be the first one on her list. Won't worry about the cathedral. NBC is where she's going to come. So we know the Queen is coming this morning, and then 
up comes the big Range Rovers and all the security men. And then the huge limousine drives up and the Queen gets out. She starts, you know, Mark Freeman and, and Brian Leatham are standing there in this smart. And, like, and she's arrived. And we look, I look from here. I say, wow, she's here. That's Perusia. And there will be a moment when Jesus arrives. He's here. It's actually happened. She's here. Another word they use in the, in the New Testament is epiphania. And that means appearance. And that has a sense of uh, receiving acclamation from everybody. And he, or our queen, you'd use that when she goes on the balcony at Buckingham Palace. Yeah, she does that, doesn't she? Goes there for a royal wedding, or when she's had 50, 60 years, probably 80 years, I don't know how long does she go on. And he goes out there and waves away, or when the war's over... And, and everybody, everybody wants to see it. And everybody goes, yay! And they do. You can see pictures of it, a diamond jubilee, a royal wedding. And everybody, the Bible says, every knee will bow to Jesus. Everyone will acclaim him. It will be an appearance like that. The third word used in the New Testament is apocalypsis. And that means uncover or unveil. And that has a sense that you really see their glory. And you'd use that for our queen when she goes to open the state opening of parliament. You've seen that on the television, some of you, all of you? You know, she's got, I mean, it's amazing. She's a dear old woman, isn't she? She's nearly 90. She's got this crown that must weigh about, I don't know how much, a stone full of diamonds. She's got this crown. She's off, she does it with great dignity. She's worn all these robes, great long things. You, you've seen the state opening of parliament. You can nod to show you're still awake. Yeah. And, 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 and it's something of that is what she does. That's her glory. That's her role. She is our sovereign. She's in charge of our country. Now, you get photographs of this weekend, uh, this Christmas. She's out there going, she's still, she's got a nice little red coat and a furry collar and a little funny hat, and they like to talk about which hat she's got on. But nobody, nobody talks about what, I mean, they talk about, oh, sometimes she's got a, this on and a that on. She goes to the races or she's hunting or shooting something. But, but actually, this is different. This is, oh, this is what she do, does, her glory. Now, when Jesus comes, it's going to be like that. Oh, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's not coming like he left even. He's, not, he's, he's sort of the same Jesus, but it's going to be clear, unveiled, exactly who he is. He's not the carpenter of Nazareth any longer. He's not a little baby. He's, he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and every eye will see his glory. Jesus' return will have all those elements. I love talking about it, so I've got to be careful this morning. Steve will have to pull me off with a hook or something. The second question I want to talk about is how soon is soon? You know, it wouldn't be surprising if you said soon. Really? (laughs) Soon? I I mean, Jesus said he was coming soon 2,000 years ago. It's a bit confusing, perhaps. Well, it's not my idea of soon. If Marion said dinner will be ready soon... And 2,000 years later, I hadn't had dinner. I, I'm married. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. Uh, <laughs> so, so soon doesn't quite seem to fit for me. Let me give you a few things to help you handle it. I hope it helps. It helps me a little bit. I think you need to understand some things. This promise 
is set in a wider context, this promise we've just read. In the book of Revelation, for example, it's clear that there are a number of other things, that's what the book's largely been about, that happen and go on happening right up until Jesus comes back. For example, take one simple example in Revelation 5, 9, we're told that in the final climax of heaven, when we all get there, there'll be representatives from every nation and tribe and tongue. So the gospel's got to reach the whole world. Jesus told that. He told it, and we got it recorded in Matthew. So every, there'll be representatives from every nation and tribe and tongue. And on our scale, humanity, that's taking some time. And actually, we now know, which I think is quite exciting, that that is potentially possible. Because in our time, we know where all the people live. We know where all the... Half the church history, they didn't know there was an Australia and a, and a South. We now know where all Adam and Eve's lost children are. And a lot of them have heard the gospel. So it's getting close. But there is a sense. That gives you a sense that some other things have got to go on. There's a setting there. Let me give you another balance. Jesus told several parables which are clearly about these events. And in, in these parables where a king goes away and comes back again... Jesus quite often uses the phrase, he uses it about three or four times actually, we've got the references here, the king went away for a long time. So actually there are other hints in the Bible that it's not like, oh, you know, he said it to John and John thought, well, he might be here by lunchtime. There was a sense in which Jesus had said the king goes away for a long time and then he comes back. And in the parables, it's long enough for all sorts of things to go on. You perhaps know what parables I'm referring to if you know your Bible. And finally, to Peter, the the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3 is very clear in addressing this whole question. He picks up what cynics are already saying when the Bible was being written. They're within about 50 to 100 years of, of, of Jesus' death. They're already saying, he's not coming back. Everything continues as normal. Forget it. And Peter says, people are saying that, but he answers it three ways, the Apostle Peter. Quickly, he says, you need to be careful because God's judgments always ultimately come suddenly. Now hear that. They always ultimately come suddenly. Now he describes, he uses the example of Noah and the flood. And he describes how, an actual fact, Noah took 100 years building the ark and he was preaching all the time about the judgment coming, but people didn't take notice of him. But then there was a, it happened. And within days, the place was flooded. We can see how quickly floods operate. We just only look on our televisions this very last day of 24 hours. Suddenly, it's there. And suddenly, everything Noah had said was true. And Peter says, it will be like that. People will think, oh my goodness, what is he talking about? Suddenly, it'll happen. There's always going to be that element. Here's the next thing Peter says. God and human beings live on a different time scale. And I think that's got to be true. God is outside of time and space. He made it. And for God, a thousand years are like a day. Peter said. So God doesn't really plod through time the way we do. And without getting too philosophical, because we're all still recovering from pudding and turkey, but there is a sense in which there's something in the character of God you've got to accept that soon to him isn't quite the same as soon to us. And then finally, and beautifully, Peter says this, if you could pop it up, 2 Peter 3, 9, 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And Peter says, what we shouldn't be doing is sitting around cynically saying, come in when? We should actually take the opportunity to get right with God while we can and to tell as many people the good news of the gospel while we can. We should see the delay as positive. This is an opportunity for people to get right with God while they can because a day will come when that will be finished and over and the door will be shut. Now the early church, I believe, lived very well with this tension. Peter's reflecting it there. That the coming of the Lord is near. The coming of the Lord could be any time. He will come suddenly and yet we need to tell people. There's an opportunity. The day of grace is still extended. I think it's important to realise this. Every generation could be the last one. That's true on the grand scale. But actually on a mini scale, every generation is the last one. I mean, the people alive in this world today, in our generation, in 50 years, the vast majority of us won't be here. And they've got to hear the gospel now. (laughs) So there's there's an immediateness to it all. But there's also something else. I found this very helpful when I first got it, and I... I think, I think it's not, it's, I just hope it helps. I think we need to understand that the New Testament doesn't think of the difference between Jesus' second advent and now as such a big gap as we do. Bear with me. The, the fact is that the word, one of the words they use is veiled and unveiled. I talked about it with the Queen. And actually, at the moment, it's like he's veiled. One day he'll be unveiled. What I'm trying to say is this. Jesus is alive now. Jesus is active in this world now. Jesus is working in the body of the church now. The Holy Spirit is moving amongst us now. Jesus is not in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, it must sometime he's going to have to rev his spaceship up and get back. You know, oh dear, it's going to take me four billion light years. I better get going, Dad. No, actually... It's not like that. It's not like that. It's more an unveiling. Jesus is active in the world now. In a way, he's near now. He's always near. But one day, it's like the Queen's in Winchester. One day, she's going to pull up outside the door. It's not like the Queen's in Australia. It's like, it's any time now. Whoa! He's here. It's changed. There's an unveiling. There's a revelation. And that is the sense in the New Testament. That's why there's an anticipation. It could be any time. It's not far away because it isn't far away. And it could be any time. Final question. So what do I do about this? What do I do about it? If all this is true, if this is worth thinking about, what do I do about it? Well, in the passage we read, there are two groups of people mentioned. Those who've washed their robes, And those who are described as being outside, who've turned their faces against God. You could read about it in verses 14 and 15. It seems to come up several times. Now, Revelation uses very picture language all the way through, very vivid imagery. And people who've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb are the same ones whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And they're the same ones who've come to the water of life to slack their their thirst, who've come to Jesus to drink and satisfy their spiritual thirst. And it's all picture language for being a Christian. (laughs) 
for following Jesus, being a Jesus follower. Now, this is not about arrogance. This is going to be wonderful, and you can all be part of it, but just bear with me. There are all these vivid pictures of a certain group of people who've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, and they're now white, which is a bit strange, washing in blood. So it's all picture language. People who are drinking from a fountain and finding their, their, their thirst is, is satisfied. People whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. These are Christ followers, people who've committed their lives to Jesus. And for us, there's a whole stack of stuff which we haven't time to unpack in detail, but which we can quickly remind ourselves of that is relevant to us about the return of Jesus. Here's the first one. We should live every day as if we might meet Jesus, because potentially we can. And that means you need to think how you behave. And actually, if you do mess up, and people do, and I do sometimes, we need to immediately put it right. We don't want to have to sort it all out when we see him. We need to keep short accounts with God. We need to think, wow, I wouldn't want Jesus to find me doing this, and therefore change our behavior. It should impact how we live. I hasten to say he knows what you're doing anyway, but there's a vividness to this that I don't want to stand ashamed in front of him. So we need to be good stewards of everything we've got, whether it's our lives and our health or even our spiritual gifts. We need to think how we behave to other people. We need to be patient and forgiving because we want him to be patient and forgiving with us when he comes. And we'll leave judgment to him. Let's not be the judge. Let God be the judge. These are the things the New Testament tells us in many different places. And as we are expectant, we love the thought of his appearing. It gives us energy and vision for coping with life. It's something to look forward to. It's something ahead of us, something to help us cope with the drudgery of life. I read in one book this week, I thought it was a good illustration. Um, Try and be quick with it, but I think it's relevant. If you imagine two women employed in a job that is really tedious and, and horrible, so they, they work 80 hours a day. They have to do it from early morning to the evening. I won't use any names. I just thought of a couple of jobs. But anyway, really tedious and hard for very little pay. And uh, it's really horrible. People are rude to them. And it's drudgery. And there's no excitement much to it. And one lady knows that at the end of the year, she'll get £12,000. She'll get a pretty, very basic wage. The other lady knows that at the end of the year, doing the same thing, she'll get £12 million pounds. Just at a human level, I think it would alter your perspective of how you coped with that year. You know, one lot think I will moan every day, I think I might myself, why am I doing this for 12 grand? I'll get more on the welfare. People wrote to me. But the other one, if I hold on, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to have 12 million. What will I do with it? All I've got to do is grip my teeth and keep going. Now, that's a pretty grubby illustration at one level, but there's a truth to it. When you understand where you're going, it affects how you cope with the day-to-day stuff. It affects what you do with life. We are, our eyes are on Jesus. He's coming back. We're not just enduring for nothing. We've, we've got something to look forward to. Let's keep going. Let's press on. And then there is this second group. The ones who, and it's a bit sad, but it's challenging, are described as outside. That seems to be people who haven't responded to Jesus now and and have ignored him and have chosen to carry on on the same path through their lives. And actually, these verses do remind us that it's a choice we make now. I haven't time to 
unpack it, but it's really around verses 11 and verse 15. There's a sense in which you choose now, and if you choose to reject Jesus and ignore him, you are choosing a path that ultimately leads to a pretty dark place outside, weeping and gnashing of teeth. But now you don't have to, you can reverse that choice. You don't have to stay on the path. And our last verse I'd like to look at is verse 17. So let's put it up as we come to an end. Verse 17 says this, The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Now, if you didn't have a red letter Bible, you get, might get mixed up with the comes. This is not about Jesus coming back. This is actually the church, that's the bride, and the Holy Spirit making an offer to everybody. Right at the end of the Bible, it's still evangelistic. The end of Revelation is an evangelistic appeal. At the moment, you can come free of charge to Jesus. At the moment, if you would but hear, and if you're thirsty, come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Today, this morning, there is no need to stay on a broad road to destruction. There's no need to say, I'm going to stay in my own ignorance and uncertainty. I'm going to stay in my own sin. I'm going to stay just in the drudgery of life. You can come and know Jesus as your Lord and Savior now so that you really do wait eagerly. Like with waiting for the Queen, it will be an exciting thing for you when Jesus comes back, as it will be for those of us who already know him. There is hope of that. Whoever wishes may come. It's a free offer. Whoever will may come and take the free gift of the water of life. Now, we could say that John, the writer of this, writing this prophecy, was probably in his mind thinking of his gospel. Because in John's gospel, in chapter 4, Jesus, tired, weary, dusty, talks to a woman at a well near Sychar in Samaria. You haven't, I haven't time to unpack it. It's an amazing, amazing little story. This woman, she's a woman, first of all. Nobody, no rabbi would talk to a woman in those days. She's a, a Samaritan. Nobody talked to a Samaritan. She's an immoral Samaritan woman. She's had five husbands, and she's living with a man that's not her husband. And Jesus gives her not only a lot of time and caring and thoughtful conversation, he tells her more stuff than he seems to tell loads of other people, if you read your Bible. And he says to her, I have water for you that will slack your thirst. You'll never be spiritually thirsty again. And by the end of the conversation, you can read it for yourself, I encourage you to, in John chapter 4. She accepts that Jesus is who he says he is, and she finds her whole life changed. And she runs back and tells everybody, I've met a man who's the Messiah, who's told me everything, he's brought answers to my life. That's literally how it is. Now that is the water of life. And that offer is still available to everybody, including Samaritan-type women. You may feel completely messed up. Like she felt, clearly. She went even to get her water when nobody else was at the well. And, and you may feel there's no hope. Perhaps she didn't feel much hope. But Jesus still says, come, there's water of life. He's not any longer dusty and tired. He's now waiting at the right hand of the Father, eager to come back. But he's not coming back in a hurry at one level because he wants more to come. And you can come this morning and drink from him. The last verse of the whole Bible is this one. 
Revelation 22, 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. I love the fact that the Bible ends on the word grace. Because it's all about grace from end to end. Grace is a free gift. It could be described as God's riches at Christ's expense. One way of understanding it. Basically, it's God's free gift of offering you eternal life and hope for eternity, which will get better and better and better. But you can't earn it. You can't work for it. You've got to take it by faith from Jesus, and it's a free gift of grace. And that grace will not only save you, it will keep you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. We're going to live by grace. We don't live saying, we deserve this, we deserve that. We live enjoying the blessings of God as our loving Heavenly Father on this life. And one day, our hope of the future is based, what? On his grace. I won't be standing before him saying, I deserve to be here, Jesus. I was really good at this and that. Not at all. I said, I'm only here by the grace of God. I'm here because of what you've done, Jesus, not because of what I've done. And that's why when we do meet him, it's somehow going to be more intimate than these earthly pictures of the Queen and opening a parliament. That gives you some sense. But actually, for those who know him, it will be like a, more like a marriage of two who love each other, eventually able to be together. Now, don't take that unhealthily. It's not a weird picture. It's a sense of anticipation. Then, ah, oh, we're, we're finally celebrating union. That's the real picture for those who are followers of Jesus. It will be more intimate and more fulfilling than just seeing the queen face to face and be, oh, hello, your majesty. Much more than that. More like a wedding. Amen? Let's stand together and let's have the musicians up. And let's just finish off by praising God together. As we come to the end of one year, as we look to another year, who knows, Jesus may come back this year. He may not. But he's near, he's close, you can know him, you can live with him, you can walk with him, you can talk to him, he'll talk to you, and one day he'll be unveiled, and you'll see him face to face.